The Christ of Christmas has been our study throughout the month of December. For many of you, you've had the opportunity to read through the book, The Christ of Christmas, and to spend a brief moment each and every day looking at a, a promise, a prophecy that was fulfilled in the arrival of the Messiah. <clears throat> the man of promise was foretold in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. And these are all descriptive characteristics of our Lord. They are not names of God. They are the attributes of God. They are the way our Lord is described in Scripture. He has one name. He is called the God of the name, Hashem. And so we realize that he has only one name, but it's described in various ways. And we have had the privilege of only looking at 25 of those prophecies, 25 of those characteristics that describe our Lord. And it can become overwhelming at times. So many times we, we read about the Lord Jesus in the scriptures and sometimes it can become so um, overwhelming with information that we don't necessarily understand it. It's important for us to understand the Old Testament. In fact, the uh, one of the purposes of the book is to help you see how much we don't understand about the Old Testament and how it is we need to learn more about who Christ is as he's portrayed in the Old Testament. But I wonder this morning, if I was to ask you of all the 25 that we have covered or read about, or up to this point, 23, 24 is today and 25 is tomorrow, which one would you say is your most admired. Mine would be the fact, I told you last week, I admire most of all the fact that he is the swallower of death out of Isaiah 25. The very fact that our Lord has taken away the sting of death. He's taken away the fear of death. He has paved the way for us to be victorious over death. That would be the one I would most admire that he's the swallower of death. If I was to ask you which of the ones that we've covered is the most adored, I wonder what you would say. Well, if I thought about that, and I thought, which one of the characteristics of our Lord do I adore the most? It would be the fact that he is the, the savior. Because I adore the fact that he is the savior to be worshiped. The shepherds would go and bow down before him and worship him. The magi would find him at the age of two or three as a toddler and bow before him and worship him. The whole story of Christmas is about the story of, of worship. It's the worship of Savior, of the Savior. And so I would say that the, the one that I most admired would be the swallower of death. The one I most adore is the fact that he is the Savior of the world. If I was to ask you which one you appreciate the most, I wonder what you would say. I would say that the one I appreciate the most is the one that you'll read about today, that he's the satisfier of man. I appreciate that about our Lord, that, that truly he satisfies the needs of man. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah chapter 
I can't remember what it is now, 25, I believe, uh, verse 25 of chapter 40, or 39, excuse me, 39, verse number 25, is that he will satisfy the weary soul. And he will fill the soul that languishes. You know, that's rooted in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. We know that he is the, the, the satisfier of man by the fact that he is the, the desire of the nations. Haggai 2, verse number 7. Many of our Christmas songs speak about the coming desire of the nations. He's also the messenger in whom you delight in Malachi 3, verse number 1. But the very fact that Jesus Christ is the satisfier of man is rooted back in Genesis 15 in a conversation that our Lord has with Abraham. And in there, Genesis chapter, 20, Genesis chapter 15, the Lord says to Abraham these words. He says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Or the best translation, I am your very great reward. Abraham, you need to understand that no matter what happens with the promises I've given to you, the greatest reward you will ever have is not that you'll be a father of a great nation, although that is a reward. Not that you'll have a land in which that nation will live, but I am your reward, Abram. I am the one that will satisfy your soul. So when you come to Genesis chapter 25, it says this in verse number seven, these are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. Why? Because God was his very great reward. You see, the fact that we can appreciate the fact that our Lord is a satisfier of man, we can adore him as our savior. We can admire him as a swallower of death. If I was to ask you which one of the characteristics is the most angelic, what would you say? Mine would be the fact that he is the star or the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. The description you'll cover tomorrow on Christmas morning. The very fact that he is the king of glory, I believe that that becomes the beauty of our Lord, that all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his majesty is seen in his arrival. If I was to ask you which one is the most authoritative, what would you say? I would say it's the fact that he is sovereign, that he's son of David and son of God. The very fact that son of David speaks of his, his royalty and son of God speaks of his deity, and he's the ruler of the nations, that makes him the all-authoritative one. And you see, there's, there's just so much to study about this man of promise. But today I want to talk to you about the one 
that I believe is the most affectionate term of our Lord, of the 25 that we've studied. And that is the very fact that he is called a shepherd. A shepherd, the shepherd of Israel. In fact, the Lord would say in John chapter 10, verse number 11, I am the good shepherd. Now, if you're a disciple and you're with the Lord and you hear him say that he is the good shepherd, that will conjure up all kinds of images in your mind from the Old Testament. We read the New Testament and we read the fact that the Lord is a shepherd, that he is a good shepherd. But do we understand the implications of that? I do believe that the disciples understood more than we do concerning the shepherd of Israel. The very fact that the Lord said that he is a good shepherd speaks volumes about his identity. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 18 when the rich young ruler came to to Jesus? And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds by saying this, why do you call me good? For do you not know that only God is good? That's very important. Because you see, Jesus says to him, if you're calling me good, that means you recognize the fact that I am God because only God is good. We know that no man is good, but only God is good. So when Jesus says in John 10 that he is the good shepherd, He's identifying himself not only as a shepherd of Israel, but as the God of Israel, because only God is good. Psalm 119.68 says that the Lord is good. Psalm 107, verse number one says, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 25, verse number eight, good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 34, verse number eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 52, verse number nine, I will wait on your name for it is good. In fact, all the way back in the book of Exodus, when Moses wanted to see the glory of the Lord, God said, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will let all my goodness pass before you. In other words, the Lord God described his glory as goodness because only God is good. So in John 10, 11, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he says it three times, He's accentuated the fact that he is the God of Israel, not just the shepherd of Israel, but the God of Israel. So they would understand that he is God in the flesh. But the disciples, in their minds, would have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the 48th chapter. Because in Genesis chapter 48, it is the very first time that the Lord is referred to as a shepherd. 
And it says this, verse four, chapter 48, verse number 15, Jacob blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my father, fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Jacob recognizes that his God has led him all this way. His God has been his shepherd. He has led him. He has fed him. He has protected him. He has provided for him. And then in Genesis chapter 49, verse number 24, it says, And his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd of Israel, the stone of Israel. But he's the shepherd of Israel. So Jacob, again, refers to the mighty God as the shepherd of Israel. And you move through the Old Testament and you realize in Psalm 77, verse number 20, it says, you led your people like a flock. Psalm 79, verse number 13, it says, so we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. To all generations, we will tell of your praise. Psalm 80, verse number one. Oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Psalm 95, verse number seven says, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Then you go over to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, that great comfort chapter, where it says, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. For a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. If you understand the New Testament, you realize those were the words of John the Baptist. Those were the words of Jesus. All speaking of the revelation of the glory of the Lord. And then it says in verse number 11, it says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. And so the disciples listening to Jesus would conjure up all these images of Israel being a flock and being led by a, a shepherd, going all the way back to their father Jacob to realize that God had been his shepherd for his entire life. And that there was this promise of a coming shepherd that would come and lead his people Israel. For that, you go to the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord condemns the shepherds of Israel. He condemns them because they did not lead his flock properly. 
He condemns them because they were unable to, to, to feed his flock properly. In fact, he says in Ezekiel 34, these words, verse 2, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Verse 4, those who are sickly, you have not strengthened, and diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. So in verse number 10, the Lord says, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth. And then it says in verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places in which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. He says in verse 13, I will feed them. Again in verse 14, I will feed them. Verse 15, I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. Verse 23, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Servant David has been dead for 400 years. So the shepherd who is a servant of David is God's shepherd. It's the Messiah. Chapter 37, verse number 24, these words are written. My servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statues and observe them. In other words, God says, I will give them my shepherd. I will give them my servant David. I will give them one who will feed them, who will lead them, who will guide them, who will bind their wounds, who will take care of their needs, who will protect them as only a shepherd can. I will give them my servant, David. I will give them my son. And Christ is that shepherd. So when he says, I am the good shepherd, is it any wonder that when the glory of the Lord shone all around, it shone specifically down upon shepherds. The, the, the lowliest position one could ever hold was that of a shepherd. It was a very dirty job, a very smelly job. It was a hard 
task to watch over sheep. And yet our Lord, our Lord would uh, describe himself as the shepherd of Israel. And he described himself as the good shepherd. Peter would see him as the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 2.25. And in Hebrews 13, he was called the great shepherd. So not only is he a good shepherd, he's the chief of all shepherds, and he's the great shepherd. And so when the Magi came into Jerusalem, and they said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Herod quickly gathered his scribes together. And wanted to know about this so-called king of the Jews. And of course, in the book of Matthew, the second chapter, it says in verse number six, they said, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, and by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So the scribes knew. They knew about Micah 5, verse number 2, that he'd be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And that the one born in Bethlehem of Judea would be the one who would shepherd, lead, and guide, and protect Israel. So it was a very common description of the Messiah, the king, who would be a shepherd. And that's why it's, it's the most affectionate of all the terms because every one of us needs to be led. Every one of us needs to have our wounds taken care of. The broken hearts healed. Every one of us needs to be protected from the evil one. Every one of us needs to be provided for every single day. Only one can do that. And that's the shepherd of Israel the king of glory, the servant of David, the good shepherd. And notice the passion of the good shepherd. Five times Jesus says, I lay down my life. Listen to what he says, John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says in verse number 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father. Talk about intimacy. Talk about affection. I know my sheep. My sheep know me even as I know my father and my father knows me. The intimacy and the affection that's there is rich to understand the importance of a shepherd who lays down his life for his own. It says in verse number 16, or excuse me, uh, the end of verse 15, and I laid down my life for the sheep. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason... The Father loves me. Why? Because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, 
but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. The passion of the shepherd is one who lays down his life for the sheep. That's why it's the most affectionate of the terms, in my opinion, of course. But to understand the fact that our Lord is our shepherd. And I wonder this morning if you can claim him as your shepherd. You know the psalmist, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. David didn't say the Lord is a shepherd, although he is. He said the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Ah, want. Why? Because the shepherd is the satisfier of man. And when you understand that, you begin to realize the implications of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. When God is your shepherd, you lack for nothing. Because everything that you need is provided for by the shepherd. In fact, he goes on to say earlier in John 10, that not only am I a shepherd, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the gateway. When shepherds would take their, their flocks out and cause them to, to graze where there was grass, they, they necessarily couldn't get back in time. And so they would <clears throat> build this, this barrier around the sheep. And as they would, the shepherd would lie down in the doorway because he would be the protector of the sheep. No one could come in without the shepherd's approval. No one could leave without the shepherd's approval. It speaks to the security of the flock, that once you're in, the door is shut. Once you're in, you're kept. Once you're in, you're protected. Once you're in, you're provided for. That's what our Lord does. That's why he's called the good shepherd. Not only to describe himself as deity, but describes him as the one who reaches out and lays down his life for the sheep. So the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He gives me rest. He feeds me. He cares for me. He leads me beside quiet waters. Still waters. Why is that? Why doesn't he lead you beside running water? Because sheep are afraid of running water. So the shepherd would take his, his crook or staff and he would move stones around in the water to build up a barrier so that what was inside the stones would be still water. Because sheep only drink from still water, they never drink from running water. Why? Because they're always afraid. Always afraid. They can't defend themselves. They need a defender. They need a protector. That's what the shepherd does. That's why he's called the, the good shepherd. He says in Psalm 23 that he restores my soul. 
He replenishes, he strengthens the soul of the sheep. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. In other words, he leads me in a righteous path for his sake because he gets all the glory. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. The shepherd's always there. The shepherd never leaves. He never departs and leaves you in isolation. He watches over and protects you. He would go on to say that the rod of the shepherd and the staff of the shepherd, oh, they protect. The rod was like a, a two-foot club that the shepherd would use to beat off any beast that would come their way. And of course, the staff was that which the shepherd would use to, to retrieve his, his, his sheep as they would fall off a cliff or be in a, a thicket. They could not get out. He would pave the way for them to, to return. That's our Lord. He is so good. He provides everything. He's our provider. And therefore, you can trust him. You can believe in him. Amen. And you know what the unique thing is about him? He says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am. Ego, a me. Those words are the same word used in the book of Exodus, the third chapter, in the Greek Septuagint, to translate those four Hebrew consonants that make up the memorial name of God. Ego, a me. I am that I am. When God told Moses, you tell them, I am sent you. When Jesus says, I am, ego, a me, he describes himself as the God who speaks to Moses from the burning bush. That's why he said in John chapter 8, verse number 58, before Abraham was, I am, ego, a me. I am the God who spoke to to Moses, way before Abraham was, I existed because I'm the eternal God. So not only is it the fact that he is the good shepherd, describe him as, as the God who is the shepherd, but the very fact that he says, I am the good shepherd, describes him as the great God of Israel, the deliverer, the savior, the redeemer of his people. And so when you read through the scriptures, he describes to you as, he's described as the great I am. And then at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. In the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter, the 17th verse, it reads these words, about those who were saved out of the great tribulation. Listen carefully. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. The lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. From Genesis to Revelation, our Lord is described as a shepherd. And for all eternity, not only is he the Lamb of God, 
the one who sacrificed himself for us. But he is a shepherd of God, the shepherd of Israel, the shepherd of his people, who will continue to lead us all throughout eternity because he's the beginning and the end. He's everything in between. Because not only is he, he the satisfier of man, he's the shepherd of man's soul. And I wonder that this morning, on this Christmas Sunday morning, that you understand Christ as your shepherd. That he's come to lay down his life for you. Have you embraced that? Have you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord? The most affectionate term that we have studied so far is the fact that he is our shepherd. God wants to be your shepherd. He wants you to be a part of his flock. And I wonder this morning if you are. I trust that you are. If not, see one of us afterwards. and We'd love to introduce you to the shepherd of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great and glorious day. It's a brief time we spend in the word, but Lord, it's a glorious time. For truly, we see only Christ. We've come to see you. We've come to see no one else. We've come to worship you. We've come to worship no one else. We've come to honor and glorify your name. For your name is the only one that matters. So we come and bow before you and pray to you, our God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for this season, all that it means. And may the things that we have learned this season not just be a momentary learning, but may it stick with us, not just through the rest of this year, not even necessarily in the next year, but into all the years beyond because we've come to know, know you as our shepherd. And you know us. And you know us as you know the Father and the Father knows you. Will we come to know you all the more? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.